This is the Good Neighbor Podcast, the place where local businesses and neighbors come together. Here's your host, Jeremy Wolf. Hello, hello, and welcome everybody to episode number 84 of the Good Neighbor Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wolf. And today I'd like to welcome to the stage, uh, we have Stacy Hoagland with Family Network on Disabilities of Broward. And Stacy recently uh, was looking over uh, my publication, Cooper City Living, and she reached out. She thought she had something to say. She wanted to contribute as a resident here in the community. Uh, we always welcome residents uh, contributing and sharing with our other neighbors. And so I said, hey, Stacy, you need to come on the podcast. You're a good neighbor. Let's have a conversation and get the word out about what you do for our great community. So Stacy, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. And thanks always to our listeners for tuning in to learn more about our great community and the businesses and organizations that serve us. So Stacey, I am really excited to get into this because um, I know I introduced you through Family Network on Disabilities of Broward, but you do so much, so, so many good things for the community and really beyond. Um, so please share with us, talk all about um, the organization and um, a little bit about your story. Okay. Well, um, like a lot of people who get into advocacy, disability rights, I am a parent. So I became a parent of a son who has autism 28 years ago. And so like a lot of people, you know, we find pretty quickly that there are holes in our systems of things that we don't have enough of. So I got involved in different committees and it wasn't too long after I started attending different um, committee meetings that I saw, oh, wow, there's this opportunity with Family Network on Disabilities of Broward County to become an advocate. And what that is, is where we help families when they attend meetings, these IEP meetings, so individual education plan meetings at their children's schools to make sure that their kids are getting all the services and supports they need so that they could be successful in school. And so I started doing that and I have been with them for probably close to 24 years now. I'm also the president of the Autism Society of Florida. And one of our main areas of focus is on drowning. And uh, particularly in Florida, uh, it's an issue because we sadly lead the nation when it comes to childhood drowning in general. Uh, but kids with autism drown 160 times greater than typically developing kids. So we have an enormous amount of focus on that, as well as a law enforcement training and support and referral and that kind of good stuff. And then also I run a program called Partners in Policymaking for the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council. And that is an incredible opportunity. Everybody can apply for it uh, for people who are either parents of children with disabilities or adults with disabilities themselves to learn advocacy and leadership skills so that they can grow more actively engaged, not only in their own life or their child's life, but also in the overall community in helping to make systems change. So that's kind of, I think, <laughs> sort of sums it up for now. Yeah, I mean, goodness, you're doing so so many good things um, through your work. And there's so much to unpack there, um, trying to figure out the best way to um, kind of unpack all of that. So can you maybe talk about generally speaking, right? Because we don't have all day here. We could probably talk for hours upon end. What are some um, common myths or misconceptions that people tend to have uh, surrounding the work that you do, surrounding, you know, folks with disabilities or maybe specifically autism? Well, I mean, I think the number one thing would be underestimating a person's ability. Uh, just mm -hmm. yesterday, I was um, 
part of a project that we are working on with one of a local, a local news station on drowning. And one of the questions that the anchor gave me was about, you know, can kids with autism learn how to swim? Yes, kids with autism can learn how to swim. And actually, like I was sharing with her, sometimes your most incredible swimmers have autism because what holds most of us back in the water is our fear. But imagine if you were a person who doesn't have any fear of pretty much anything at all or very limited amount of fear, swimming could be like you could be a rock star swimmer. And so it's the same thing in our schools. You know, a lot of times that's when I walk into when a school and a parent is having some type of disagreement on something. It's oftentimes where the parent will say, Johnny can do that. We see him do that at home. We know it. And maybe the teacher's like, mm, no, not here or vice versa. Sometimes we'll see the opposite. Uh, so if one side or both sides tend to have, you know, not, you know, uh, the thought that this child can achieve, what ends up sadly happening sometimes is that the kid goes through school um, and I'll hear words like, oh, well, he or she has plateaued. N nobody plateaus. Nobody. We all can get to the next level and whatever it is that we want to learn. So sometimes it's making sure that kids have access to the curriculum that they need. Because, you know, it, it, although we have a one size fits all mentality when it comes to education, that is not the way it works. We all have our unique learning style. And so a lot of times what I do with these IEP teams is sort of redirect them back to what are the kids strengths? Like what can they do? And then we look to see, OK, so if they can do this, so let's say they're really good at decoding. Well, then we're going to use that strength. We're not going to beat the child about the head and where their challenges are. We're going to use their strength and they're going to use that sort of as a stepping stone to get find the right curriculum and then hopefully get the kid to the next level. So underestimating a person's ability, it has to be the number one, because particularly in autism, we'll see that there are people with autism who don't verbally communicate and quite often that person is underestimated. And I know a woman who about a year ago, she was in national news. She has autism. She is not able to verbally communicate and she graduated her college as a valedictorian. So mm -hmm. it can happen. Yeah. Ne never underestimate the potential of a human being. We're all uh, amazing creatures and we all, the, the, limitless bounds to what we could do. Uh, it's so important to for folks to remember that and, and not be constrained by societal constructs, if you will. Um, so I know you've been doing this for quite some time. Obviously, you spoke about, um, you know, your own personal story with your, your child that had autism. I think you mentioned 26 years ago. Talk a little bit about like your background leading up to that and what you do before that. Um, I know now you do a lot of writing and things like that. So um, did you always, were you always into writing uh, prior to getting involved with the organization or? No, that's interesting. Actually, one of the other, because I don't have enough to do. <laughs> I, was, well, I, got some, um, I got some more things for you to do if you don't have enough. It's okay. okay. <laughs> I'll send over. It was a couple of years ago. I, I, I um, it kind of, uh, it's no longer in existence, but I think COVID kind of, did some stuff with the publisher of the company, but I was the editor of a magazine called the Autism Notebook Magazine. And that was pretty exciting. But before I had my kids, so I have two sons and my older one just turned 30. And when I was young, I actually worked for 
Broward County Schools. Uh, for those who don't know, it is the sixth largest school system in the country. And, you know, I didn't realize I was going to need this knowledge now, but I took a position as a temp in the budget office and I didn't know anything about budgeting. They basically needed like a runner because I'm going to date myself. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no internet. We used to take a phone and put it on a coupler and it would make this noise. <laughs> That's how you would get that was that was Wi-Fi back then. And um, so because of that, the budget office and the superintendent's office and the school board members were like right across the parking lot from each other. So I had to run physically the reports from the budget director over to the superintendent for signatures and all that kind of stuff. And so I had to learn about the budget. I had to meet the superintendent. I had to know the school board members. I had to understand how things were set up for schools receiving the dollars that they were supposed to receive in order to basically implement the programs and educate their kids. And then after that, I actually got a job in two different elementary schools as what's referred to as the confidential secretary or office manager in these two schools. And in those schools, um, as with a lot of different positions, it's it's the secretary and the principal who runs the school. A lot of people think that it's it's just the principal or you know assistant principal, but really it's the secretary. They sit with the principal over the summers, like right now, they sit with them and they're looking at the class lists. They're looking at who, what teachers are coming back and just all that stuff. So I was part of all of that. I was part of making sure that we had all the funds that we needed, that I would you know, hire substitute teachers, I mean, all that kind of stuff. And so then after I left them and I had my children and then I became, you know, became really actively engaged in advocacy, I already knew all that stuff. I knew how their budget worked. I knew how they hired and how they got rid of some teachers. I mean, I, I so when the school would try to say to me, well, there's no money. Mm, yeah, there is money. <laughs> there is. And um, so sometimes I know more about the budget even today than schools do because, you know, districts, not just the one that I work inside of, but school districts tend to, you know, hold back certain level of funding um, because they know that there's going to be things that come up. So when a parent knows their rights and knows how to exercise their rights, that money thing is a non-issue. But when they don't, a lot of times that's the go-to that the school system will use. Oh, we don't have any money or we don't have staff or you know, just, but when a parent understands their rights, all of a sudden those things that were issues, they're not. Yeah. Very, very important. Very useful for, uh, for listeners to know that. So thanks for sharing that. So let's shift for a second. Why don't you talk a little bit about what you like to do for fun when you're not working? Oh, well, I'm a bit of an extremist. I like, um, Oh, do tell. I, like, I like crazy things. So I hear I, about all that your skydiving endeavors. Let's I go. have yes. Skydive, yeah. um, hang gliding. Ooh. Um, we, we're, a, we're, a, we're a camping family. Both of my boys are Eagle Scouts. So they grew up, you know, kind of doing all that stuff. So um, the one thing I haven't done that my older son has really like encouraged me to do is um, become dive certified. So he is, he is, um, I don't even know what it is, whatever the, the top notch on that ring rung is there. Uh, he's got it. So dive master or master diver. I, I think it's master, master diver. I think I, I don't know. I have okay. my, I, I got my Patty certification many, many years back and I only went a couple times and I just never went again. So I should, I should definitely rekindle that flame. It was a lot of fun. 
yeah, yeah. So that's him. And they're so they're big on like they my my daughter in law, I have a daughter in law now, and uh she loves lobstering. And you know, living in South Florida is is wonderful for her. So they go and do do that. So I have not done that. And one of the biggest reasons I haven't done that um is because my younger son, when he was 17, he developed epilepsy. And when you have seizures, being in the water is extremely dangerous. And so that's the reason that I you know, I don't spend that much time in the water because he, he can't really spend time in the water. So. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you said that your daughter-in-law does loves to do lobstering. I mean, we're, we're both in the neighborhood. Next time you're doing like a lobster cookout or some something, I, I want an invite. I got to come by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, uh, it's funny because when they go lobstering and they'll bring the lobster out of the water and they kind of, you know, set it there and take the tails off or do whatever you do there at the dock. Um, a lot of times they'll have other people come and say, hey, can I buy some? Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty popular. Yeah. So on a, on a more serious note, I, I, I like to ask uh, my guests a question about life hardship, struggles, challenges. But I want to, more, I want to be a little bit more uh, um, uh, specific with you because I, you know, I have two kids, nine years old, 11 years old. And, and gosh, parenting is, is tough. Um, and I certainly struggle like the rest of us. So I wanted to get your perspective um, on on the experience of bringing up a child that has autism um, and how that impacted you um, both personally and professionally. Obviously, we know professionally it led you to this, this thing. So could you talk a little bit about that that part of your journey and that dynamic between you and your your child that you know suffers from autism? Yeah. So well, when he was little, like a lot of like I can almost guarantee that. The listeners that you have, I know you have listeners who have kids with autism because autism now um, is at one in every 36 kids is oh, on the wow. autism. I didn't spectrum. realize it was that prevalent. Yes. Yeah. So guaranteed you have listeners who have kids on the autism spectrum. Um, we really can't, you can't avoid it uh, anymore. So even like teachers who would say, you know, 10 plus years ago would say to me, oh, well, I don't have any kids with autism in my class. It's that really doesn't even happen anymore. There's, there's so many kids on the spectrum that they're everywhere. But very sadly, when my son was young, like two, even a little bit under two, we saw him sort of changing. Uh, when he was one, and I could look back at video because I thought, okay, it was it me or was it real? But when we look back at video, we see him engaged with me. He's engaged with the camera. He's um, babbling. He had probably 10 to 12 words. And then slowly one word after another just left his vocabulary and he sort of reverted into himself. You would see me calling him and he's just everywhere but with me. And uh, when I would share my concerns with the doctor, I would get, he's fine. Look at him on the growth chart. He's a boy. Boys develop later. Uh, maybe he's not speaking anymore because he's growing in these other areas. And Sadly, all these years later, so that was 26, 25, 26 years ago, we still have families report the same thing. They're still hearing the same thing from their doctors. So all your listeners out there who are thinking something is up, but their pediatrician is saying, give him or her time. Do not do that. There is nothing bad that can happen if it turns out to be nothing. 
So if you go and you get, you talk to somebody else, a developmental pediatrician or a neurologist, if they say, oh, no, 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 it's, it's all fine. And you have done your due diligence to make sure that it's fine, then awesome. There's nothing. It's all good. It's just maybe a lag in development. But when you don't get the early intervention that is like gold, you just set yourself up for um, a much darker space because the older your child gets and the more that you wait on early intervention, it's not that they can't you know, make really nice progress, but those early years, that's where you really want to capture it. So for me, because I had worked in the school system, I had friends who were still in the school system. So one of my friends was a principal at a school and she was over for dinner and he was two, a little over two probably two and a quarter. And she called me the next day and she said, something's up. I go, I know. I keep bringing it up and I keep getting this answer. She goes, well, you need another opinion because I have kids with autism at my school and he's looking very similar. And so I went back to my pediatrician. I told him what she said. And unfortunately, he said to me that educators should stick to education and not medicine. I said, well... (laughs) I need somebody else. I need somebody else. So either you can give me a referral or I'm going to go find it myself. So he did give me a referral and it didn't take five minutes in the neurologist's office because he had all the classic symptoms. He was not verbally communicating. He was withdrawn. He was not giving eye contact. He couldn't stay focused on anything for any amount of time. He would take cars and spin the wheels. He was hand flapping. I mean, when I look back, it's like, oh my goodness. It's like he had all the indicators. And and so starting intervention. So you definitely want to make sure that all your listeners out there don't listen to those people who might tell you that you want to go get, you know, like I said, the worst thing that can happen or the best thing that can happen is then for somebody else to say, all's good. Just, you know, whatever, whatever. But early intervention doesn't (laughs) hurt anybody. Early intervention is good for, for all kids, no matter if they have a disability or they don't. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I can see how as a parent with a young child, it could be, I mean, obviously with hindsight, looking back, yeah, at all the early indicators, but I could certainly see how um, it could be easy to overlook it because you don't want to, you don't want to believe that that's happening. You could just chalk it up to, oh no, it's just this. It's happened to me with other things. I've had, I've had issues with my kids where I said, is there something going on with them? And I'm like, no, he's fine. He's fine. I'm not going to look into that, but you're right. And and you answered my question. I was going to ask about early intervention, like, does that significantly curb the development of autism by getting involved early? And I, obviously you answered that, that it really, it does to some degree, because you could develop practices and, and things to yeah. kind of, um, you know, steer it. Yeah. I mean, somebody who has autism has autism. So I used to think when I was that age that, oh, we're, you know, we're going to basically, it's not going to be there anymore. Um, but that's not, we know after years of research and everything, not just me, but just science that, you know, the autism is just part of what a person is. And a lot of people with autism will tell me it is who I am. I am autistic and I'm proud of who I am, but we definitely, we want the early intervention so that the person hopefully will be able to communicate effectively. We'll be able to have the skills that they need in order to learn and make the progress that they can. Um, and when, particularly with this disability, when you go, okay, I'm not going to, we're just going to put it over there. I'm really not going to look at that right now. You're losing time um, to get them to the next step. And and for me and for a lot of families, it was kindergarten ready. What do I need to do now? Because my goal was regular kindergarten. 
didn't want to put him in a special program. I wanted him yeah. to be included with all his typically developing peers because I knew socially that was where the best role models were going to be. And so when we go back to your original question, I just got fired up. I mean, I was just like, I have to do something. I can't just sit here. And I got as active as I could. And because I felt at that time, although I was wrong, but I thought I got to get everything I got to get done by five, by age five. So I was like a woman on a mission. Now, that's not true. I'm not five. And I learn new things every day. So every human can continue to grow and change um, as time goes by. But those early years are pivotal. So it was it was a big hot hot and heavy time for me to try to get things done. Yeah. I mean, fascinating stuff. I could, like I said, I could sit here all day and, and talk about this. It's really fascinating. Um, in closing, why don't you share um, a little bit of your contact information, uh, maybe the, your the organization's website, uh, how we can get a hold of you and tell our listeners how we could learn more. Okay. Well, if you're in Brown County and you need some support with your schools and really advocacy, uh, fndbroward.com. We provide free advocacy to almost every family that has a child with disabilities inside Broward County. So definitely, you know, if you need support, uh, there's that. And, and that is not everywhere, sadly. Um, so we are funded by Broward County government to help out families who live in Broward. Um, if you live outside of Broward, you can still contact me. You can also look at, I just have stacyhopeland.com. I try to put videos and have like a monthly uh, email that goes out, which is tips and tricks about how to be a better advocate. So anybody can grab that. The Autism Society of Florida is autismfl.org. Uh, we run lots of different types of programs, art classes and um uh, drawing and I don't know, all kinds of stuff. We have all kinds of stuff for kids and for adults. We also have a, what's called a peers program for adults with autism. And uh, so you can just check out that website and uh, hopefully you'll find some good information there. Awesome. And as always, we will link in the description below with all of your contact information. So, you know, for anybody out there that, that you know, maybe struggling with this type of stuff or uh, maybe on their radar, or, or maybe they notice some signs in their kids so they could, uh, you know, reach out and learn more and, uh, Oh my goodness. It must be Friday, right? I think we're, I think we're at the close here. I'm uh, losing my train of thought already. And it's all, it's so early in the morning. What are we going to do, Stacey? It's time for the weekend. Let's go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so th thank you so much for joining us. It was truly a pleasure um, getting to know you a little bit and learn about what you do, um, you know, for our great community and beyond. So thanks so much, Stacey, for joining us. Oh, thank you. This was great. Yeah, now it's our pleasure. And thanks always to our listeners for tuning in. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Good Neighbor Podcast. Everyone have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Good Neighbor Podcast, Cooper City. To nominate your favorite local business to be featured on the show, go to GNPCooperCity.com. That's GNPCooperCity.com. Or call 954-231-3170.